Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S., and each week, we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. And we're back at CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Phil Briggs, reporting for ConnectingVets.com, the military news and veteran lifestyle website. And we're going to continue our food theme now for the holidays. Really more of a focus on food for thought with these next couple segments, as we'll talk to Joshua Scovland an Army veteran and writer for Coffee or Die magazine, the edgy web magazine from our friends over at Black Rifle Coffee Company. And um, yeah, we'll get into some of his writing, what it was like reporting on the front lines of riots in America a year or so ago, uh, the hangover that can exist when you go from being a veteran or you go from the military to becoming a paramedic or an EMT or a cop. And uh, we'll get into what coffee goes best with pie. And really, I know what a lot of veterans are thinking and the answer there is simple. Uh, it's whiskey that goes best with pie. But uh, we'll get into that. And uh, here's what it sounded like when I sat down and talked with Joshua recently. Check. Check. Black Rifle Coffee Kingpin. Writer. Renaissance man. <laughs> among other things. Joshua Scovland. How the hell are you? Good. Good. Thanks for having me on. I follow you because full disclosure, I'm going to just put this right out here in front. I love the headlines of your articles. Um <laughs> We're gonna we're we're gonna talk about one in particular, but I loved pummeled with piss and punches. Paramedics and EMTs demand more help. Yep, I loved that one. Uh, it's like a weird Dr. Seuss, and then Pogue as b- Marine vet thwarted oh. robbery. And I don't know how you even scored that interview because I called the sheriff's department trying to get that guy's contact info, and they wouldn't give it to me. So. Uh, but- I, I, there's, there's some tribulations to get that one. I think just in a small way, but they were there. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. So Josh, man, uh, let's get into it. Okay. Before you became this journalist covering these cool stories, but let's back up even before that small town, South Dakota. Tell me about uh, one, where are you from? And then two, uh, what made you want to join the army? So I, I'm from a little town in South Dakota. It's called Huron. 
Um, it's in East River, the very flat part of the state, uh, very far removed from the Black Hills, where everybody likes to think about where good old Mount Rushmore is. You know, the the thing that drove me to join the, the Army, um, so even before that, I had interviewed and competed for a full-time scholarship with the Air Force. Um, my dad was really big on, you know, don't go enlisted, be an officer, because he was in, uh, enlisted, and he didn't talk much about it. He didn't do a whole lot uh, in the military, but really encouraged us to be officers. So, right. um, but then we had a change of command and the new commander didn't want to be running the pilot program. So I essentially got switched to a needs of the air force ROTC slot. And I was not about to roll the dice on that. Cause I don't want to be the officer of, you know, a toilet paper room or something, you know? <laughs> um, so I called up my brother right away and said, Hey, I'm leaving my scholarship. I'm going to join the army. You know, do you want to help me out or, uh, should I just find whatever recruiter around here? And he's like, yeah, he, it was a deep exhale sigh, like, uh, you know, and he's like, all right, come out here. Cause he's living out in New York as a recruiter, uh, finishing out his time in the military. And uh, so I moved out there and um, trained really hard with a uh, group and, you know, give a lot of credit to my brother for setting up this training program for a lot of us guys. Cause I think at least five of us out of the initial group made it through RASP and in the regiment. I won't say easily, but definitely made it through. And it was a, a higher percentage than we were honestly kind of thinking would get through. All right. Uh, fun fact here uh, about Josh's older brother, Marty Scovland Jr. Dude's basically a legend, not just because of his deployments as a ranger himself, but after years of being an operator, he also became one of the founders of the veteran bro media style that we see today. His articles would go viral. His blogs would eventually lead to becoming fully embedded with special forces in the way that no modern network journalist does. I mean, this is the kind of guy who can survive a firefight in combat while covering a firefight and that can cover parachute training and probably pack his own chute, eventually becoming the editor of Coffee or Die magazine. So, yeah, Joshua was wise to call on his older brother when looking to get into the army. The thing that drove me to join the army ultimately, though, is I, I really wanted to go off and do the the cool guy, badass stuff. And I got to do a little bit in training, but my time in the military ended up being a little bit shorter than initially expected. So here we are. So your brother was running an off-site training regiment with pre-ranger qualifiers, huh? Like, <laughs> Yeah, he set up for... Uh, <laughs> What is it? The delayed entry program that they have after you swear in and stuff. We were doing this program together and I can't remember if one of the guys failed or not, but the rest of them made it all the way through and quite a few of them are still in regiment right now. That's cool. So you guys can all get little sub patches below your unit patch. Let's say like Scovland or something like I came through the Scovland school of training. Like we smoked until we were dust. If we showed up to regiment with that, I'm sure. (laughs) All right, so you served as what's known as a forward observer. Um, yeah, F-O. Is it is it true they call you guys fisters? And to <laughs> what what the heck does that do? What do you guys do? Uh, so fisters, uh, yes, that is what they they called us. Like we're <laughs> under the fist section in uh, headquarters company, and we when I was in uh, three seven five the training cycle just trained us up on doing gun runs and utilizing different air assets and kind of organizing that communication. And 
I was never JTAC qualified, so I didn't get trained on like dropping 2000 pounder bombs or, you know, Mm. the nukes or anything like that. But yeah, it was just a cherry private in regiment. But suffice to say the mission overall is you guys are out there like with binoculars and you're looking at positions of enemies and you're calling in strikes from tanks then if you're not dropping bombs from the airplanes, but similar to what a combat controller does. Yeah, not on the same level by any means, but we're going to be calling in artillery strikes, illuminating rounds, you know, just artillery that most people kind of learn. Totally interesting how you go from this kind of military ordinance sort of role to becoming a writer. And I don't know which to go first, your time as a paramedic or jump into writing, which came first. So uh, working as a paramedic did back in... 2012, I moved back to South Dakota and I was a personal trainer and then I ran my own gym for a little bit. Um, Got really sick of doing that stuff really fast. Um, No offense to my old clients or anything like that. It just, that type of work just wasn't for me. I'm not like your rah-rah cheerleader kind of guy. You can do it. Come on, Bridget. You're, you're, you're down three pounds this week. Come on. One more. (laughs) Um, I went through school. I did an abbreviated course so that I could expedite being a paramedic. I did my ride-alongs. The last two, three months of paramedic school is just a full internship at whatever ambulance service. And it was a a level one hospital or a level one trauma center in Minneapolis running call after call after call. And they cover uh, North Minneapolis and a huge surrounding area around there. And so that was kind of what I wanted to do is like the more fast paced, exciting stuff. What I didn't think about, though, was just what that faster pace, like seeing the worst side of humanity day in and day out, what that does to my psyche. And um, basically, that was kind of the thing that led me into writing. I started off with had been writing poetry and not publishing it anywhere. I would just basically write it out and throw it away when I was uh, sober. And um, I showed one to my I think it was my brother or my sister or somebody. And they're like, oh, that's that's really good. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, it, it's like drunk ramblings, basically. And they're like, no, that's that's poetry. And I was like, no, nah, no, I don't think so. And then uh, my brother sent me a bunch of stuff showing like examples of poetry that aren't, you, you know, your Edgar Allan Poe or, you know, stuff like that. And so I saw that. And I was like, oh, maybe that is what that is. So I started like using that at, as because it was kind of like my therapy for my mental health basically i'd write stuff out get rid of it but instead of getting rid of it i started put uh posting it on an instagram and that really started to help me out so i just wrote more and more and more and then at the time coffee or die was tiny um pretty small team marty and katie had done a lot of awesome stuff for the the size of the publication at the time um so i was like yeah I'll, i'll give it a shot you know they need some more first responder material so I wrote one of my first stories. I think that was the MS-13 dude that we ended up having to sedate and everything. He was high on PCP and, and it did pretty well from the sounds of it as far as like viewership. But I also had a lot of my friends reach out and be like, hey, thanks for writing that. Like that gives a better look into like what paramedics deal with on a daily basis than, you know, like what most writing does. And I was like, oh, you know, and so, man, maybe I can do better for my fellow paramedics and EMS people and same with police and firefighters you know being able to tell their stories when they can't like that to me was like that's a no-brainer you know let's do this very cool i you know what your kindred spirit because i kind of felt that way about veteran life like i can't 
come and regale you with stories around, you know, some fob in the middle of the nowhere where I was kicking indoors, taking down bad guys. I was just a journalist on an aircraft carrier, but I can help share the stories and produce the stories of the people whose lives really mattered, of whose yeah. stories really made a significant difference in people's lives. Um, I feel you on that. Can I ask you to share with me like a moment when you kind of thought like like that defined how burnt you were on EMT work or a moment that yeah. you could share that said, hey, you got to quit doing this or your head's going to get wrecked. Yeah. Um, so I, I ignored the warning signs, I think, for a long time and ended up just getting to the point where um, like when I was at home, I would drink basically like that was. Mm. Like I was self-medicating with alcohol at home. And as soon as I had my son, um, that changed my ability to handle like pediatric calls and stuff like that. So as he got older and I would have patients of that same age on the ambulance and stuff, I started finding out like I was having a really hard time dealing with the more traumatic calls. And I think the the month where I decided like, nope, I'm I'm done. Like I need to find a different career was I, I, I had like, I think it was like three or four different pediatric calls with these really young kids. I think they're all under the age of six. There was a two-year-old, uh, three or four-year-old, and then I think it was a f- five or six-year-old, somewhere in there. But there was three or four patients that month that just had some really jacked up stuff happen to them. Mm-hmm. And just seeing like that innocence violated like that, it to me, it's it's really hard to stomach. So um, that's when it really started to sink in. I started having like basically panic attacks when I leave work and I, I was like man what is going on because you know having that that military mindset I'm like you you can like grit your teeth like just get through it just s- stop being a baby like it's fine like <laughs> you know but it, it was just like and that's one of the things about par- being a paramedic that always drove me insane is I never got to see the final like what happened to my patients after I drop them off at the hospital and that lingering like did I do what I should have done. Did I do that right? You know, are they still alive? Stuff like that. That just really started to weigh me down. And then those kids, those calls built up and I was like, man, I like, I was calling, finding every excuse to call in. My wife brought it to my attention. Like, Hey, you've called in like six or seven times. You've been written up for it twice now. Like what's going on? I was like, ah. <laughs> so I finally talked to my wife and she's been um, a nurse for longer than I was a paramedic at the time. She's working for the same hospital. And my wife just saw such a different view of medicine than I did. Cause I was going into people's houses and, you know, when you, right. when you treat somebody, you know, some kid that's been shot inside their house by some gangbanger that went by and did a drive by and you're dealing with like the family dynamics there of like, there's angry, sad, like everybody's there. And then you're trying to take care of this kid and the family's being so anxious that you're having a hard time even getting the kid to your ambulance. And like that kind of stuff doesn't exist in the hospital in the same way it does for EMS. And don't get me wrong. I love my nurses out there, PAs, doctors, you name it, but they work in a more stable environment than we did. And um, my wife didn't really realize like all that stuff. And then as soon as I talked to her about it, it finally made sense to her. She's like, Oh, you know, so that's when we started, I was like, maybe if I do pre-med and, you know, knock that out, going to med school, like that'll be good for me. Like I can actually take care of my patients. Don't have to deal with like the the nightmares that exist outside on the streets at times. And it was the same things. Like I'd get frustrated with uh, certain places charging patients for stuff that they shouldn't be charged for, or, you know, Hey, we just 
revived you and you're alive now, but here's this massive bill for a quarter million dollars. Like, good luck. (laughs) You can't can't work or anything. You haven't filed for short-term or long-term disability, but here's this massive bill. Good luck. (laughs) Like that kind of stuff, like really drove me insane. And I'm not saying I don't, I won't claim to know like what the solution is for our healthcare system in our country. Like I'm not even going to come close to that, but you know, it was those things that built up. And then when I saw like I could do some good for my fellow EMS and just really the first responder world and, you know, military world and veteran world and, you know, those communities, that's when I was like, it makes sense. And I've always played with camera stuff, you know, photos and little bit of video. And so when I went into multimedia journalism, I really got to advance, you know, my love for that. And to think I was going to bust your chops about the poetry thing. I was going to be like, oh, and he writes poems too. Isn't that nice? red gun, blue gun, fun, fun, fun. But no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's actually way more than Dr. Seuss. Um, oh man. And, I- and Hey, should be noted. I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but um, Hemingway war veteran, a medic veteran, liked to drink too much and had a beard. So in a way, what I'm seeing here on this call is you got a bunch of those like knocked off. Let's hope we can control the drinking part, but uh, you could be popping, man. You could, you're like the new Hampshire Hemingway or something. Yeah, I drink coffee, not so much uh, the alcohol anymore. I'll I'll have a good drink every now and then, don't get me wrong, but (laughs) the daily drinking stopped when I stopped working on that ambulance. Um, what article do I want to talk about? Uh, let's talk about some of your writing because coffee or die magazine, again, both you and your brother, Marty Scovland doing incredible things at coffee or die. And we were chatting about this before we opened the call, uh, the George Floyd situation in Minneapolis, that tragedy, uh, then what can only be described as like a cultural revolution riot. Yeah. Right. I mean, that city just t- tears apart at the seams for weeks on end share with me a little bit more about like that. Let's just talk about like one of the moments you experienced while you're on the street. So uh, when I was talking about that insight that I found that was outside of Brooklyn center, uh, me and one of the other, uh, he's a, a cinematographer for black rifle, but he lives in my a- area. So kind of uh, to watch my back, he came along and we were going to just basically cover what happened. If anything happened. And when we first showed up outside of the Brooklyn center police department, this is a, police department I've worked with intricately uh, as a paramedic. Like my ambulance station was a mile down from where I was standing down there. I know the area very, very well. Um, A lot of the people I saw in the crowds, like I treated as patients. I recognized a lot of them. There is a lot of the buildings that could tell you exactly how to get to certain rooms and what's inside those rooms, if they're still living there. Like, cause it was, I'd been in those apartments so often, but so when we're out there, it, it slowly changed. And as it got darker, uh, things got more, aggressive and pretty soon you started having these guys pulling up in these trucks with loudspeakers and you know it it was almost like a psyops setup basically you had a couple vehicles come in they had loudspeakers and they're riling this crowd up really hammering at like racial injustice and as soon as they started throwing you know that verbiage out there that really riled up the group that had built and so more and more people were coming out of the apartments there's already the group there But then you had the same group that I recognized outside of the third precinct when I was covering that that riot. They were they were wearing, you know, really solid black clothing. It's basically that kind of Antifa look. Helmets, the the black stuff, gas masks, things like that. 
And sort of like what we saw in Portland as well. Yeah. Like that yeah. screw the government anarchy down with corporations like those 100%. guys. Yes. And I mean, we started talking about, I was like, are you seeing this movement? Cause he was prior military. Um, we we're kind of discussing like, this looks organized, doesn't it? Cause you could see like the unorganized part was your, your typical person from the public, but then you, you could see the guy walk up and talk to the same guy. And then another guy would come talk to that guy. It's like, okay, he might be a leader of some sort. So let's keep an eye on him. And then pretty soon another guy came up and the guy pulled the radio out of like the inside of his jacket, pulled it up and talked into it quick and then put it away. I was like, Whoa, that's not normal. (laughs) They they have comms. Yeah. 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 They've got comms. So we, we kind of watched that dude for a little bit, but then we started noticing like they started handing out these shields of like these, they're like cutouts of 55 gallon drums with handles taped or screwed to the backside of it. It was like a, a long shield basically. And I'd seen them used outside of the third precinct, but I never saw how they got there. Well, there was a dude that walked up with like five or six of them and started handing them out to these guys. And they obviously knew each other. And then they spread out. And you could see that they had spread out kind of strategically in front of where the precinct barriers were. And so we got close enough to one guy um, that was he was talking into a radio as soon as we saw that, I kind of got a little bit closer and I was just taking photos and stuff. And um, I heard him saying like, Hey, you know, tell so-and-so to move to this spot, tell this guy to move to this spot. And it was like, this dude was like controlling movement. Like, you know, like they're setting up for something. And then later that night when things really kind of, I think that they declared it a riot at, uh, and then they started using gas and stuff like that. And that's when things just got crazy. You know, the umbrellas came out, the shields were being used, they're throwing these gas canisters back at the police. Like, they were very well learned from, like, the the riots that had unfolded after George Floyd was killed. You could tell, like, these guys had learned their lesson from some of the stuff that happened last time. They were wearing thicker coats, and I'm assuming that's because of those 40 millimeter marking rounds. Like, mm-hmm. I have slow motion of those hitting some people, like, up a couple feet in front of me. And it's like, you can see that impact. It's like, man, that looks like it hurts. But, you know, maybe don't, don't throw a brick at the police officer behind that barrier, you know? That's crazy. So are you saying that, like, generally when they see a situation in the news and they know things are going to get heated, that these anarchist people will just come to the town and then start doing communications and trying to figure out how to make this thing turn into a dumpster fire, literally. Yeah. And, you know, I, we were never able to, to for, formally verify for sure that, you know, how many people were coming from out of state, but definitely outside of the third precinct. Like there are people from other cities that had come in and really ramped things up, especially when the third precinct burned that night. You know, it's, there was some out-of-state actors that were there, and I believe we were able to get some coverage on that. It seemed like everybody we had tried to verify with government-wise, they didn't want to, like, confirm it, basically. Yeah. Um, but we had people from other countries that were down there. Like, there are some interesting things that were at play. There was a lot of back and forth between the protesters and the rioters, too, of, like, the protesters telling them to knock the fuck off, like, get the fuck out of here. And, you know, there's just a lot of that feedback from these protesters and i went and interviewed a bunch of them they're like yeah like i don't know where these guys are from like tell them to get the fuck out i was like i'm not doing i'm not telling anybody to leave but you know it was it was interesting because the way things were portrayed in the media at times and things like that there's some people that were trying to just label the entire thing a riot and some people trying to label the entire thing a peaceful protest and 
you know, I was, I was there. Like I can, I can see what happened there. And I really want to make sure people understood, like there were people there peacefully protesting, but it turned into a riot by the end of the night. Those people that were peacefully protesting went home because it got too dangerous. There's a dude swinging a dang chainsaw around, like <laughs> slamming into vehicles in the, in the, the, the car lots and, you know, using it. I think he uh, busted one of the windows in the advanced auto that was down the street um, when that place got looted and it's, it was wild. And that dude was speaking Russian. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was chaotic. All the more reason I'm glad you picked up a laptop and a camera and you're a journalist because you were telling that story because you said something powerful there. And that is, you know, the media is like, wants to spin it all as riot or wants to spin it all as protest. You know, though, these people are so frustrated with injustice that they have no choice but to loot this advanced auto parts. No. And the narrative we get has to fit one of two different molds. And that frankly pisses me off, which is why I'm glad you're an independent journalist down there on the streets, because not everything fits one of two molds. It's ugly. And there is a sickness in America right now that you've uncovered, which is like people that are professional riders. They, you know, I don't want to say they're even professional. They're just dirt bags without a whole lot with, with too much spare time that just decide to drive to wherever the next hotspot is and go start some S. Yeah, and absolutely. I'm super glad you've uh, shown that side again. That's why I like coffee or die. Cause you guys aren't afraid to publish some, you know, some tough stuff. Yeah. Uh, also unafraid to publish some cool stuff to read about and talk to me just quickly uh, before we get, you know, end this. Um, Pogue as blank Marine vet who thwarted robbery speaks out uh, viral video from uh, gosh, over a month ago now, but it's basically down in near, what is it? Tucson, Arizona. Uh, yeah. The guy's there, middle of the night, grabbing his Fritos and Mountain Dew, backing out. And all of a sudden, two kids come in to roll the place. And you just see this, like, salty, bearded dude turn around and be like, punks, robbing the place? Bam! Just instinctively just threw a haymaker and drops the kid. The other skinny punk runs out the front door. Um loved every second of that video of course it went viral I, nobody knew how to reach the guy until like a couple days later as a press conference but like i called that day or the next day when i saw the viral video i called the sheriff's department down in tucson i couldn't get his contact info she was kind enough to take my name and number you actually interviewed the guy before i saw any press conferences um who is he how in the hell did you get his stuff tell me that story so <laughs> james is is a heck of a guy it, you know he just he's the the definition of the military spirit like things need to get done it's going to get done now you know and right right before i get ahead of myself coffee or die has an excellent team when it comes to trying to source information for contacts and you know sometimes we call several numbers before we get to the actual number well the first number that i got a hold of uh was a guy that said that he was the de facto uh secretary of james and I was like, okay, can I speak with him? And it, he, um, I had called him and I said, hey, you know, I'm Josh Goldlin, staff writer with Coffee or Die. Since you're the secretary, can you put me in contact with James? And he's like, no, we like guns a little bit more than you guys. Uh, no, thanks. We're not interested in it. Hung up. And I was like, what the heck? You know? And I was like, like Black Rifle Coffee Company. It's in the name, like guns. <laughs> like what? You know? So I texted the number and I, I had, told him you know like hey i don't like i don't know if you heard me correctly or or what but like we're like black rifle coffee company's publication 
Like we're about veterans, military, first responders. Like that's what we cover. Can I talk to James? And he's, he didn't, he didn't reply for about five, 10 minutes. And at that point I was like, man, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> like, do I have like some anti-black rifle guy on my hands or like, what's going on? And finally I got a text back saying, you're lucky. He actually does want to talk to you. And he gave me James's actual number. And I still, to this day, have no idea who this dude was. Maybe it's James's twin brother. I don't know. It's but he, be, was, yeah. he was pulling my chain. And maybe he wasn't pulling my chain. Maybe he's being serious and he doesn't like us. I don't know. But nevertheless, he gave me James's number and I called him. And um, James was a little standoffish because everybody had kind of painted that early picture of like, oh, he's some badass. He must be Marsock and, you know, all this other stuff. And he's like, man, dude, like, I'm, I'm literally just pug as fuck, man. <laughs> And, and but as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, that's the story. Like this dude, like he, he, he did your, your normal career in the military to a degree, like kind of more on the technical side, even. And here he is, like, he just saw something bad happening. He was like, no, like, I'm going to shut this down right now. Like, I'm not waiting. I can't quote him verbatim, but he like as soon as he saw the gun it wasn't like oh man there's a gun like i better take cover it was like yeah take a step closer let's do this which is what's great because even the pogue marine by the way if you're listening you don't know what pogue means it's person other than grunt um grunts are the pride of any military division because they're the guys that you know take the rifles and go walk outside the wire and do the patrols and engage with the bad guys and and to be a grunt is to be celebrated in the military um a person other than grunt is an admin rate. Like I would have been in the military, a Navy journalist, you know, the, the, the softest ice cream of all. <laughs> and we would have got made fun of by all the grunts. Cause we were pogues. And so when his headline reads pogue as blank Marine, he's like the pogus to the pogue. I'm the admin of the administ, but at their core, and this yep. is what's kind of cool about Marines. We got to give it up to our brothers in the Marine Corps. At their yep. core, whether you're a pencil pusher or you're a rifleman, you are all a Marine and you're expected to, when you see something bad happen, immediately go knife hands or immediately go, you know, just not be afraid to step in there and light somebody up. And this guy yep. proved that with like just a split second reaction of like two guys, gun, punch to the face. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't even think about it. And, yeah. and James, he he really went out of his way to point out. He's like, "Yeah, man, I just did the normal thing." The Marines, like, I I'm not I'm no special badass or anything. And he did point out he, that the area he grew up in, which is I think why we connected well, is we have a similar upbringing in a small town in in a rural mm-hmm. area. Like, he basically said he grew up around a bunch of dudes that just they didn't put up with shit, and if they something needed to be done, they did it. And so between that and his military experience, I think. It, it combined, he, he just was very insistent. Like, I just wanted to do the right thing. And in his, in his colorful language. I love it. As only a Marine can give. Yeah. That is great, man. Well, appreciate that story. That was a lot of fun to read. Um, so many good things. I, we, we don't have time to get into it, but, but I do recommend if you want to know what it's like to work in a prison, <laughs> check out the article pummeled with P punches, paramedics and EMT uh, demand more help at Rikers Island. I can only imagine the kind of stuff that is happening to anybody that has to go into Rikers Island and work in one of those prison systems. Um, Coffee or die magazine. Uh, It is the most caffeinated kind of journalism. Queens English included in all these stories. Um, Let's uh, lastly, let's get to the holidays or whatever. It's talk about what coffee goes best with pumpkin pie or is it whiskey? 
So I I like to do coffee with the pumpkin pie and okay. then move on to the whiskey on the holidays. Just mm. one nice solid glass of whiskey. Um, with, Any kind of coffee in specific, like a specific blend goes good with the pie? Uh, usually it's whatever ECS that I have on hand. Um, okay. The exclusive coffee subscription that Black Rifle runs. Um, I get that monthly at this point, so not too many of them have disappointed. That's usually like my specialty coffee that I go to on the holidays or like when I'm really feeling like I need like an, uh, you know, you, you know how it is. You're sitting behind a computer all day. Like you need something to kick your butt. And usually it's that, like, that's my special coffee that I use. Um, like I'm drinking lava Panther right now as an example. And, okay, um, you know, pretty much whatever ECS I have on hand goes, goes well with uh pumpkin pie. <laughs> okay. Um, another flavor that might go well and augment a let's go fruity. Let's go apple pie. Fruity. Um, man, I would have to say the monk seal coffee would be best with that. I'm okay. no Q Raider by any means, but, um, that that's, that's my first and, uh, first move on that. All right. And, um, French press or just like regular old coffee, brewer mr coffee pot like does it matter how i make my coffee or so i'm i'm a stickler at like i didn't start like this either i i was a folgers dude growing up in the middle of nowhere south dakota stopped drinking coffee for a long time because like folgers to me just tastes like crap (laughs) and the uh my brother convinced me to try it way before i was doing anything with coffee or diet it was just when i was working on the ambulance i was like man i don't like coffee and he sent me a bag and I tried it. I was like, man, this is really good. You know, like there's actually some flavor in here besides burnt tobacco. And I, like, it just got me addicted to it. So the, the, the way that I, I prefer the most is uh, pour over, just being able to tinker with that. I do have a lot of love for science and just being able to do things in biology and chemistry classes. I loved being able to tinker with everything within that so with coffee i can kind of do the same thing where i tweak the temperature tweak the amount of water ratio to coffee the grind size like there's a lot of things you can mix up to try to get the best flavor out of the coffee and i like kind of playing mad scientist with my coffee um that's what i like to do when i'm when i have enough time but the the regular old drip chamber coffee maker um when i'm running short on time i grind up my beans throw it in there and good to go pour over is there are the go-to though pour over so if i google pour over coffee making method or pour over coffee making system uh, i'll learn about a variety of machines that do this or i'll learn a. so it's it's like the glass chemex you have a filter that sits over there you grind your beans to a pour over size which is kind of like uh coarse salt yeah you okay. put that in there and then like the ratio i hover between is you know one part coffee uh 16 part water and then you can tweak the temperature. So I usually do, um, usually it's around 195 to 200 degrees, depending on what, the darker the roast, the higher the heat uh, on the water. All right. It, it sounds like a lot at the start. It's, but it's, <laughs> once you get into it, man, it like tasting the, the actual cherry of that coffee bean. Like yeah. once you get that first taste, like it's all over, you're going to be hooked. Uh. <laughs> that is awesome, man. That is awesome. I, I envision your kitchen looking something like, uh, you know, Walter's Crystal Meth Lab on Breaking Bad or something with all these Chemex beakers and Bunsen burners. And 
My my wife yells at me a lot for the coffee stuff at this point. All these glass chambers and filters yeah. and grinders. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Always a pleasure. Joshua Scovland, Army veteran, writer for Coffee or Die magazine, part of the Black Rifle Coffee Bunch, and um, lover of all things coffee, pie. Used to love whiskey. Um, <laughs> probably only for the holidays now, but uh, damn glad to have you on the show, man. Where can I find more of you? Where can I find you on Twitter? Joshua Scoblin is my Instagram, uh, Twitter is malarkey aside. And then I guess my creative pursuits is Scoblin photography on Instagram and uh, concentrated emotion is my poetry on Instagram. Nice. Joshua Scoblin though, spelled uh, in typical North fashion, S-K-O-V-L-U-N-D. Sounds like a Minnesota Viking fan. I don't know. Are you? Oh yeah. You better believe I watched that game yesterday too. <laughs> You're welcome. You get Kirk Cousins. You got him from Washington. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I, I hope all the Packers fans know that we beat them yesterday. Just a heads up. <laughs> That's awesome. Coffee or Die Magazine, Josh Scovelin. Always good times, brother. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.